Hey guys, DJ here. This is a disclaimer. Applied Materials is a 100% non-profit fan project set within the Orpheus Protocol game system. The Orpheus Protocol is an actual play podcast and tabletop role-playing game system created by Rob Stith and published by Varkalak Press. If you'd like to know more, please check out the podcast at www.orpheusprotocol.com and patreon.com slash orpheusprotocol if you'd like to show more support for the main show. A link to the main show will be provided in the episode description down below. Thank you for your time, and please enjoy the following episode. Welcome to Applied Materials, an Orpheus Protocol actual play podcast. My name is DJ, and I will be your host for tonight. On the cast list for our journey into the unknown, Laurie is Erky Lindstrom, Greg as Caspian Smythe III, Kieran as Dylan Jameson. Tonight's episode, Man in the Machine, Part 3. Man in the Machine contains violence, hazardous technology, old friends, and old foes. Consider this your warning. Previously on Applied Materials, the secrets of the facility are laid bare to the team. Its heart, a huge eldritch supercomputer built by the mad digital architect Andrew Bernier and stapled to that makeshift cross, a captured Orpheus agent named Gene Chandler. Gene offers the team a failsafe that will destroy the facility. All they have to do is find it. We return to the four of you still standing in the main lobby. You have just left the mainframe chamber, the doors hissing closed behind you. What do you do? Uh, I think Caspian will just take a, a moment of quiet to uh, make sure he's in touch with his uh, his Scientology technologies and his practices there. So in game terms, uh, making sure I have Guardian Angel and Stalwart Faith invested. You could totally do that. Um, just said I'm setting vigilance. So I want to be ready. Um, I don't think that there's anything I can... Um, just to... Since this is a new session, just to recap, we do have telepathy activated, so we have a mental link between the three of us. Yeah, Eric will concentrate on the ball of yarn to see if anything happens to it, then while he's doing that, he's also going to activate rank one Master B of Spirit Guardians, so he's going to commune with the spirit of Ukko. Rank one Spirit Guardians takes one minute, you are nearby, I like gain a plus three untyped bonus to vigilance for the scene, and the next, an entity may not spend strain to boost its vigilance while benefiting from disability. Uh, vigilance is going to be, I believe it's an eight, but let me just double check. And then with the plus three from Erki's Spirit Guardians, they get you to an eleven? <laughs> yes. And Caspian is five with his Spirit Guardians. Caspian and Erki, the two of you don't really notice all that much because... This place is awfully quiet, save for the sound of computers humming, fans humming. You do notice the red ball of yarn is off to your left, and it is rolling down the hallway that is marked on your map as Security Center. It's rolling, rolling, and then it comes to a stop just in front of the door. Dylan, however, in addition to the ambient sounds in the surrounding room, you also notice a weird whirring noise. And as you scan the room to try and figure out where this noise is coming from, your vision lands on the little blinky red light of the CCTV camera above your heads. 
and you realize that the whirring seems to be coming from the camera itself. The lens appears to be sort of zooming in, zooming out on you and moving around looking at each individual in the room. And when the camera lens sort of sweeps over to look at you again, you can see the faintest glimpse of two little purple eyes reflected in the camera lens, which then very quickly disappear. Roll me your check, please. As I'm rolling this horror check, I'm going to tell the others, there's something in the cameras. There's something alive in the cameras. Did it seem staticky? Eric will ask, while looking around Frank and also turning the towards sound, the camera. A little bit in the sound. I'm checking my roll the flat on the dice. I can put three jump in, so six. You pass, standing to take two preventable sanity damage. This is very troubling, but you've already seen a little bit of this entity before, so the fact that it's stalking you through the cameras, because, well, you saw it in the computer, not exactly that surprising anymore. The other thing that you notice, Dylan, as you're informing your friends of this entity's presence, is that you hear the sound of water sort of either bubbling or otherwise flowing coming from the hallway to your right. And you know that the and you know that the chamber down the hallway to your right is the server access. It's a little strange, kind of out of place, especially since this whole facility seems to be dedicated to nothing but computers. The fact that there is the sound of running water coming from this room, kind of weird. Unless they're using it as water as a cooling system, I'll let them know about the sounds as well. Caspian and Erki, Dilla lets you know about strange sounds coming from the other hallway. I hope they're not trying to flood us out of here, or flood us in. Should just get this USB key plugged in and get out of here as quickly as possible. Agreed. Agreed. Can we see anything through the door? Is it a windowed thing, or is it like a bulkhead door? The door is a bulkhead door, completely solid, no windows. I'm keeping my eyes on the on the security cameras. And is Tennessee taking point on this, or should uh, should Caspian move up and open this door? Tennessee's basically opposite you, Caspian. He's standing on the other side of the hallway, across from you, just waiting for you to open up the door. And Caspian will say through the bond, uh, I'll open the door, uh, be ready for what's on the other side. All right, I'm ready. Um, and he will, I guess, turn the turn the crank to open the bulkhead and pull it open. All right, Tennessee nods and steps back, leveling his rifle at the doorframe as you pull open this sliding metal door. It hisses open with a release of air, and you find yourself in a rather small space. There is a bunch of smaller server racks here, not industrial-sized ones, but more something you might recognize as fitting for a security center like a CCTV room, or a place where mainframe or a sort of small storage closet. There are a whole bunch of TV monitors here along with a rather large computer. You assume that this is for recording security footage and just maintaining them on an external machine so that they can be analyzed or at least kept safe. There also appears to be a bunch of lockers on one side of the room along with a very clear weapons locker. You can see that it is closed with a sort of thick wire mesh door and you can see the geometric shapes of handguns, shotguns, assault rifles behind it. Not a lot of them, but enough to arm like maybe a squad of six, seven people. 
The other lockers are more akin to, say, staff lockers. They are unlabeled, and they are all closed. There's also a chair here, and surprisingly, there's no one in here. Does the weapons locker seem like it's locked with a physical padlock or a digital lock of some kind, or is it open? The weapons locker is locked with a digital lock. It looks like a thumbprint lock. Okay. Is there, like, a access computer in here? Oh, yeah. That's the computer that's connected to all those TV monitors. I'm going to sit down in front of it, see if I can boot it up. I think, meanwhile, Erki will go to the weapons locker and pull out his trusty laptop from the waterproof bag that he had with him while we were, like, on the boat heading towards the island. And uh, he will start to see if he can somehow, like, get a cable to the thumb reader of the weapons locker lock and to his laptop and see if he can, like, run some brute force stuff to open up the locker and get access to the weapons so we can arm ourselves. And I think Caspian will be looking at the uh, employee lockers and seeing if there's anything uh, interesting in there. All right, let's start with Erky first. I'd like you to make me a cybersecurity check with your focus, please. Uh, yeah, with my cybersecurity at B, that would be a total of three on focus, and die result was a minus one, plus one, and plus one, so that would be a four, I guess, total. Yeah, I'll keep it at four. Okay. You spend a bit of time using your utility knife to pry off a panel on the side of the armory locker. You stick a USB cable into the slot you expose and you start typing. Unfortunately, this security system is quite robust, so it's going to take you some time. However, it's nothing you can't crack, so you're definitely going to be able to open this locker given just a few minutes trying to work on getting this dumb thing open. Caspian, I'd like you to make me an investigation check with your perception, please. All right. That is a plus one on the dice for three, and I will spend my three uh, temp strain for investigation on that um, to make it a six. All right. So as you're looking over each of these lockers, you realize that these aren't employee lockers so much as they are lockers for storage of other things. You open each locker in turn, you find that most of them are empty, save for one. You find a bunch of clothes in here. There appears to be a pair of blue jeans, a jacket, a satchel bag, and a wallet. And inside the wallet, you find a driver's license and a credit card, both of whom seem to be property of one Gene Chandler. These appear to be Gene's personal effects, Caspian, probably taken from him after he got captured way back a few years ago. I think Caspian will just relay that through the bond. We've, we've got Gene's personal effects here, uh, license and credit card and stuff and some clothing. Tennessee, you want any of that? Tennessee says through the bond, I think you can hold on to that for now. Maybe put it in your bag or something. We can take it out of here and sort through it later. Yep, Caspian will grab the satchel bag and stick the wallet and license in it and uh, sling it over his shoulder. Dylan, you sit down at the computer table and check the terminal to see if it's still on, which it is. The monitors are all still going and you wake up the computer from standby mode where it was. There is one central monitor that is black and then now lights up as you wake the computer up from its slumber. 
It doesn't present you with a login screen though, oddly enough. It just goes straight to the desktop. Wow, that's some great security process. Is there on the desktop anything about the cameras or the um, system that we're looking for? Yep, there is an app that controls the security cameras. You can see that there is also your usual icons, recycle bin, my computer, documents, that sort of deal. When you double click the CCTV camera icon to open up the monitoring software, you can see that it pulls up a rather rudimentary looking app that shows you all the different security fees on one monitor. You can see which drive it's saving all the videos to. You can see the status of all the cameras, all of that good stuff. Remembering the image, the, the eyes that I saw on the camera, I'm going to turn off the security system as far as the cameras are concerned. I'm going to turn off the security cameras. Okay, that's easy enough. You locate the button to turn off all the security cameras. You press that and you see all the camera feeds turn to static. I'm going to look over my shoulder at the actual physical camera. The blinky red light in the security room that normally would signify the presence of a CCTV camera is now gone. You can see the camera there, it's still in its little semi-spherical little black case. It appears to be off. I crane my head to see if there are any eyes on it. Doesn't look like it, no. I will leave the screen that has the static on it, remembering that static is bad. So not sure, not sure how that's going to qualify, but I'm going to leave that screen so that it's not showing. You turn off all of the other monitors that display static, leaving just the main screen with the monitoring app on it just open. I will say over the link then, all right, I think I've got everything ready here. We just have that USB in, right? Was Tennessee still with us? Yes, he is standing in the corner of a room. He has his rifle in his hands. He's kind of looking around a little nervously. Erky will motion towards Tennessee to come and check the weapons locker and use his expertise to like give the rest of us some weapons that he thinks might be we are qualified to be using without hurting each other if we start ending up in a firefight. Tennessee walks over to the weapons locker, kind of rifles through the guns that are on display here, and he looks at you and says through the bond, Well, I think I can run through some extra training for the lot of you back at Empire, but for now, I think it's best for us to just take these and leave. Considering we don't have as much funding as we do now, any extra weapons and ammunition we find out here, it'll go a long way in arming ourselves, should the need arise. Taking the credit card on the same thing gives us a bit of extra spending money not attached to our names, at least. He doesn't need it. As you are just sort of watching the others do their work, you plug the flash drive that you were given into the security terminal, and it pops up with a little file folder window that contains a small bunch of stuff. Looks like some assorted note documents, a couple of audio recordings, even a video recording. Looks like it was saved from a phone, along with a very conspicuous file with an icon of a skull and crossbones that says failsafe.exe. While I'm waiting for the go-ahead, I'm going to read the other stuff on this. So the text documents all appear to be observational notes and records, probably written by Jean. You can see that some of these notes were written in late 2016 to early 2017 by analyzing the date modified of the files. Most of them appear to be sort of things that 
Gene was noticing about the mainframe, their server access, and the vast network that is connected to this supercomputer over the course of about eight to nine months that he spent researching this place, studying the eldritch supercomputer that hangs from a vast inscrutable ceiling. In fact, he was probably plugged into this as you open up one or two of the audio recordings and you listen to Gene rambling on about how the network is so unfathomably vast that it would take him lit that it would take him literal years to analyze every single megabyte of data that is stored on these servers and that Tennessee had given him an impossible task how dare he and the video recording appears to be Gene just sort of standing underneath this vast upside down black pyramid staring up at it for a few moments and then walking over to the camera you presume it's his phone and saying hmm. Hmm. integration possible all right and away we go he reaches for the camera and the video cuts off there i'll look over at tennessee he appears to be busy loading these assault rifles and shotguns into a duffel bag he has slung on his shoulder. And he catches your eye and he says to you through the mental link, Yeah, Dylan, what's up? Did you, when you gave him the mission, did you know he wasn't going to come back? I, uh, I don't know. In my heart of hearts, I knew that he was really good with computers and machines, so I figured leaving him alone in a place like this, where he wouldn't be found, and where he could report back to me every couple of months, he would be fine, or at least he would have been fine. I mean, I certainly couldn't have predicted that Black Steel or Star Contrast, whoever they were, got wind of this place and came knocking. I didn't know, and I couldn't warn him. In a way, it's kind of my fault, but I mean, what was I supposed to do? Not much you could do, I guess. The least we can do is put him out of his misery. Speaking of which, if we're done here, and we don't need to know what's in the rest of this place, you can hit that failsafe and we can go home and give Gene some closure. Yeah, yeah, have you guys done? Just in case if the failsafe decides to turn off the elevator system, is there a map on that computer over there that could show us another way out from here? Just in case, you know. That's a great idea, one second. And I start looking for it. There doesn't appear to be any other escape routes from this facility. However, as you continue studying the blueprints available to you on this terminal, you are able to figure out that in the event of a catastrophic system failure, the elevators are designed to stay running because they are hooked to a separate power grid that runs on a separate network that is isolated from the main network. Therefore, if this whole place were to go tits up and explode, you would still have time to run for the elevator that leads you back to the cabin and then run away from there. I'll share that with them. Ah, great. That puts my mind at ease. It's a reasonable security measure given that there are people down here living in this place. So if this place were to blow up, at least they'd have a safe chance to get away and escape. So... I have my finger hovering over the, the, or my mouse button, hovering over that file. Does anybody else think this is too easy? A little, but what other choice do we have right now? Than to explore the other place and see what other kinds of potential traps they have laid out for us here, but... 
I I don't know. No, you got a point. Fuck, I don't feel good about this. Something's wrong. Let's uh let's get the fuck out of here. Let's give a check to the lobby before you flip that switch and Caspian will stick his head kind of out the the sliding door to see if there's anything unusual happening in the lobby. Nope, everything appears to be fine, Caspian. It is quiet. Very quiet. All right, let's go. And three, two, one. I click it. Dylan, I'd like for you to roll me some sort of defense or dodge, please. My dodge is not high enough to roll for usual for evasion. You want me to roll it anyway? So what is your evade value at? Three. That's fucking horseshit. (laughs) Well, I mean, you do still fail. So what the rest of... Oh, my God, audio spike. So what the rest of you see as Dylan starts counting down and just as he's about to hit the enter key to run the failsafe, the monitor in front of him seems to flicker just for the briefest of moments. And then a whip-like tendril seems to extend from the screen and it strikes Dylan across the chest, almost as if he'd been hit by a bladed whip. Dylan, you are taking 12 slash zero physical damage as you have been hit by this strange attack. And I would like everybody to roll me initiative. My initiative is 10. Same. 10. Jesus Christ, all of you are just going all at the same time. Once I factor in my dice roll, Tennessee is probably going to be going after the after like the three of you. Wow, that did a lot of damage, by the way, because I don't have, I'm a very squishy boy. So even after paying off things, I have four points of damage. I mean, honestly, if Dylan dies in this one, I'm okay with it. Guess what, y'all? He's also on sale 10. So what the four of you see slithering out from the computer screen is a liquid mass of static that seems to shift and flow almost like water or corn syrup. Dylan, the sting of that slash across your chest, well, it's more than a sting. You are cut wide open and the force of the blow sends you sliding backwards in the office chair, trundling across the room to rejoin your comrades. Whatever this entity is, it pulls on the floor in front of you, and then it pulls itself together into a vaguely humanoid shape with bright purple eyes, slanted at an angle to suggest irritation, or maybe perhaps malice. I would like all of you to roll me a horror check, please. However, Dylan, you are at a situational plus two because You've already seen glimpses of this creature, and so the fact that it has now emerged is not particularly surprising to you. Caspian, you are also at a plus one, because you recognize this thing. It's the same creature that tried to kidnap your friend's son all those weeks ago in Miami, Florida. That's a ten for me. Jesus Christ. I mean, I rolled a two. I have three in willpower three in in stability like i have five in stability so i have three temp strain and then the two that you gave me and then i rolled a two nice caspian was flat on the dice for a five and i'll spend the three temp strain for stability to make it an eight i got a plus two on the die and in total that makes for a six all right 
all of you pass. Dylan and Erki, the two of you stand to take three preventable sanity damage. Caspian, you stand to take four. Yeah, I will strain all of them down. Same here. Yeah, uh, Caspian will strain it down too. Unfortunately, its initiative is quite high, so it's going first. It's drawn blood, and so it seeks to press the advantage. As it extends an arm, and you see that what you got hit by, Dylan, wasn't a tentacle so much as it was its whole hand. You can see that the ends of its fingers are sharpened into these razor-sharp spikes, claws almost, as the arm sort of elongates and shoots across the room like a whip. And I need you to make me some sort of range defense. Let's see. Do I want to try to parry? I might as well. I don't really have... Well, yeah, I... God. So I'm kind of going to try to, like, block it with my handgun. Like, just kind of, like, swing it, like, smack it aside with, like, the handgun. Um, I'm probably not going to do very well because I can only put three strain in. It's physical strain. I can't put any strain in because I don't have any fucking strain left anymore. So, and I rolled and I can't re-roll. You know, this is good. Like, I'm just going to embrace it. I, I go to block it. I, I rolled like um I rolled a like a negative one and then I, I have like a one, so I'm at zero. So I'm sure it's gonna hit me. Four degrees of success, you are taking twelve slash zero slashing damage as its claws just sort of rake across your body again. Yeah. Um I'm going to use machinations. Unfortunately, I only have rank one, so it's only going to take me back to my, like, shitty full wound track with, well, full wounded and partial seriously wounded. So what does this look like? So it's odd, but it also is kind of fitting because static was one of the signs of, of Dylan's gifts, too. So, like, as it hits, it sort of tears through the rest of his chest cavity, flaying him open and pulls back through the viscera, there's a moment of that sort of what squelching and the squelching turns into a loud sort of overwhelming static and the bits of his body that are falling out of him turn into pixelated data and re-knit together to a point before that last damage was done. And so I would like you to roll for breakdown along with, well, everyone else. Caspian's flat. Plus two. Flat. Oh my god, you will not believe this. Dylan, as your body, quite literally, like a VHS tape, rewinds itself to a point just before you got hit by this creature's whip-like bladed tendril of a hand, you see the creature pause for a moment, its eyes narrowing at you as if contemplating something almost appears to be scanning you, Dylan. It's just standing there, its eyes just sort of roving up and down your body. It's not moving, but you can see the static pulse and shift. And then, and then you see it start to spasm and shake, writhing in place as that static liquid seems to boil away, melting down on, melting and dripping onto the floor until it exposes a almost skeletal, emaciated body. It is just a torso and a head, and you can see that it appears to be a young man in the center of this creature. His green eyes swivel left and then right, and then 
it affixes on you, Dylan. And he says, No, not here. Not now. But elsewhere. Meet me in Raven's Folly. We finish this there. Its eyes then turn to Tennessee, and it says, Jimmy, I'm sorry. I couldn't fight it. I still am. This is all I can do. Destroy this place before it comes back. You see all of this liquid static sort of reform over this skeletal man, and the creature disappears into the computer screen, vanishing before your eyes. Well, shit, that was weird and not fun. Tennessee looks to you, Dylan, and he says audibly this time, instead of through the mental link, Dylan, what the hell is he talking about? What is, what is Raven's Folly to you? It's home. Home? But I, I don't know why he'd want to meet there. I don't. Well, I wouldn't know either, considering that was one of the Long Road team. What was his name? Who was it? It was a young kid who was obsessed with mathematics and found a book about eldritch power. He derived his power from intertwining the two together. His name was Simon Greltz. Yeah, doesn't ring a bell. It shouldn't. He's not a native of Raven's Folly. I looked into his files when I was compiling people to put together for the Long Road Expedition. So, I don't know why he would have asked you to go there. I don't know. Oh god, but honestly, I'm not sure I would remember really much of anything right now. Fucking hurts. Oh, right, right. Hold on a second. I think I got something for you. And uh, Tennessee reaches into his pack and pulls out a small glass vial full of a clear liquid. And he hands it to you and says, Drink this, it should help. (laughs) And Dylan will down the bottle, taking a deep sigh as his his wounds sort of close up and re-knit. Dylan, as you gulp down this panacea, I would like you to regain 1d3 plus 1 wounds of your chosen type, either clarity or health. Wish I'd rolled better, but you know what? I will take 3. And I would also like you to regain 2d3 strain of all types. Oh, thank god. At the same time, Dylan, Tennessee puts his hand on your shoulder, and I would like you to heal another 2d3 health. Oh, thank you. Meanwhile, Erki will finally disconnect the cable from the thumbprint reader. He kind of got thrown off the loop by the sudden appearance of this whatever that static thing was, not to mention the body under it. So yeah, he'll take the cable back and close his laptop and put them into the bag on his shoulder. And then say that, not to be a spoil spot, but I think we have time to discuss these things further. Should we now blow up this place and get the hell out of here? Get the hell out of here before it potentially comes back or something else? Good point. Let's get the fuck out of here. Not to be a spoil spot, but I think we should get the hell out of here and, well, of course, blow this place up first and then get the hell out of here before that thing or something else comes back, potentially, or tries to stop us. That sounds like a good idea. That's got my vote, too. Let's get the fuck out of here. And I'm going to hit that button, go back over to the console and hit the button. All right. You hit the button to enable the self-destruct, fail-safe, and you see the computer immediately get taken over by a stylized version of Gene's face, except it's a pure skull. It appears to be in 16-bit. It is laughing as a timer appears on the screen that says three minutes and counting. Oh, I've always wanted to see one of those. Okay, let's get out of here. As the timer starts counting down, 
Tennessee looks at the three of you and he says, We have a little bit of time. I kind of want to go back and talk to Gene just for a moment. Since, you know, this will be the last time I ever see him again. For real. Shouldn't we have done that before we hit the button? Now that you say that might have been a good idea, but yeah. I mean, if I know Gene, that timer probably isn't even real. You hitting that failsafe probably re-enabled his connection to this network so he can trigger the self-destruct sequence whenever the hell he wants. And true enough, one of the computer monitors in this room blinks open and the CCTV feed display there is the one inside the mainframe chamber. Gene is looking at the camera and the camera zooms into his face and the volume on the audio feed goes way up so you can hear him and he says, Hello, Tennessee. I suppose it would be time to make a final request. What is it? You want me to delete your browser history? No, I've already taken care of that for you. And yours as well. You're welcome. I... <sighs> Once you've dealt with this applied materials business, please come back to this facility. There's still things of value contained within. Are you sure? Because, you know, the self-destruct sequence is gonna send this whole place down to the bottom of the ocean. Yes. It will. Well, I mean, if anyone can survive being however many miles it is down at the bottom of the sea floor, it'll be you. I thank you for the vote of confidence, Tennessee. There will not be very much left. Take what you can from my remains. Keep fighting the good fight. As well, one more thing. Make sure Elijah stays safe. He was the only one of them I ever liked. Apart from that, if any of you wish to become more efficient in your eternal fight against that which is and that which is not, you may feel free to take any parts of the apparatus which I have connected myself to. Although I would recommend doing it quite quickly. You only have... Timer stops. Starts flickering. Take your time, actually. Th thank you, but no thank you. I will be waiting for the rest of you at the elevator. And Eric just goes out of the room and it's for the elevator. Oh, last time he saw the pyramid thingy, he got like his mind went all wood. <laughs> so yeah, he, he's not, he's not going to take any chances with this anymore. <laughs> a shame. He would have made an excellent weapons platform. Oh well, his connection to the divide is unfortunate and would have to be removed. Tennessee sighs and he kind of runs a hand through his hair and he says, You're a good man, Gene. When all this is said and done, I'm going to see whether I can pull your brain off the ocean floor. Whatever survives will be quite happy to see you, I'm sure. Still, such is life. We change, we grow, we have new experiences. And I will have to say, this will certainly be a new experience for me. Yeah, dying's a hell of a thing, isn't it? But such is life. I've done it once. It's not great. Let's see if we can pull the trick off twice now, shall we? Now get out of here before I start growing. A sprinkler goes off overhead. Tennessee grins and he pats Dylan and Caspian on the shoulder and he says, Well, you heard the man. Let's get out of here. You don't have to tell me twice. Let's go. Caspian will uh, kind of take point on the way out the door. The four of you head back to the elevator, bundle yourselves in, Hit the sequence to take yourselves back up to surface level, emerge into this quaint little log cabin, run for the fishing vessel that is more... run for the beach. Tennessee uses his flashlight to signal for the fishing boat to come in and pick you up. And not a few minutes later, the four of you are 
exiting Discovery Island, riding the surf on this cold December night. Not even a few moments later, the cabin, and shortly thereafter, the whole island, explodes. The detonation is loud, though it is muffled by the sheer amounts of ocean water that soon rushes in to fill the gap left behind. Pieces of log cabin, trees, rocks, and other assorted debris begin to rain down into the sea around you. As rising into the air, faintly on the wind, you hear the sounds of a scream of agony, followed by some sort of digitized chorus that is soon swallowed by the surf. As the noise of the explosion dies down, Tennessee pulls a phone from his pocket and dials a number. And the three of you hear him say, Is that Rabbi Elijah Cohen? Yeah, it's me, Tennessee. It's nice to hear from you again. Listen, I, uh, I've got some bad news. He moves to another side of the boat to continue talking as this little fishing trawler takes you back to Seattle where you disembark and return to your hotel to recuperate from your night's exertions. Later on the next day, Tennessee instructs for the three of you to meet him at the bar that you first originally convened in. And it is here that the four of you find yourselves in the same little booth that you all had been in when you'd first gotten to this cold, wintry city. Tennessee is typing out a text message on his phone as he watches the three of you approach, gives you all a nod and greeting, waiting for you to sit. And then he says, All right, well, that couldn't have gone any better than I had originally planned, so I suppose uh, this round of drinks is on me, gentlemen. Caspian grins, sometimes I guess it really is that easy. Especially if you've got a man on the inside, as, uh, as grim as that was. Easy, perhaps. Grim, definitely. But now we've got a new mystery. Permission to take a few weeks and head to Raven's Folly and see what the fuck that kid was about? Actually, that's what I wanted to ask you, Dylan. Would you mind leading this group of married gentlemen, bringing them home? Well, to your home? It's been a long time since I've been back, but yeah, why not? I figure if that thing, if... I don't even know if I can call it Simon anymore. If Simon mentioned your hometown, that must mean there was something important there, right? I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. And if he wants to fire you there, then you might as well take along some help. Yeah, I'll take what I can get. It wouldn't surprise me that place is weird. So, right on the heels of this, we know that Star Contrast Media still has other places of interest across the United States. But this? This is a win for us. With what Gene told us about that facility controlling their network, or rather their hold of our network, we should have encrypted comms back up within the next few days. Albert working with a couple of my friends back in Empire to try and get us access back, but hopefully Orpheus Networks and Orpheus Communications should be ours again. However, Stark Contrast Media is still not done. I know that despite us destroying this facility, we still need to take out the heart of their operation. And that means we need to take down the company itself. Long overdue. And I figure whatever it is that's controlling Simon, there must be a place that's doing it. I don't know where that might be, so I'm going to try and figure that out. All right. Well, I raise, I raise a glass to going home. Caspian will cheers. Yeah, he will also offer a toast, but he won't say anything. What's your vigilance at? Mine? Six. 
No, all of you. My vigilance is always at like eight since eight. <laughs> um, mine is five, assuming I have the spirit guardians up. Yeah, I have six if my spirit guardian is up. That's strange. All of the people in the bar seem to be looking at you. They've all stopped what they're doing. All the conversation has stopped. All of the movement has stopped. Every single person in this bar is looking at the four of you. Erky will lean towards Tennessee slowly and say, Did you bring the guns with you? Tennessee says, No, I didn't. But keep your guard up. Something's fucky. Dylan, out of the corner of your eye, you sense movement. And you trace that movement to the television mounted in a corner of the room. You can see that the television program is a news report, a morning news report for that matter. There is a newscaster on the screen, a woman who is blonde, short hair, kind of curly, green eyes. She was also looking at you, but then she starts moving. She appears to reach up to her head and removes a wig that then she tosses aside and off camera, revealing a head of long black hair. And the camera zooms into her face just a little bit as her eyes go from green to dark purple. And through the speakers on the television, as well as the rest of the speakers in the bar, you hear her saying, So these are the dashing men in tights trying to ruin this perfectly good thing I've set up. Look, gents, I didn't live this long without knowing how to get rid of a few interlopers. But you've dealt me a rather serious blow. Do you know how long it took me to gather all those ravishingly useful minds to store all the secrets I've gained? Well, just so you know, minds are my specialty. Observe. She waves a hand at the camera, and you see in quick succession, almost faster than you can perceive, several images display on the TV screen. The bartender is staring upwards at the television set, and as this burst of colors and imagery finishes, in less than a second, he reaches underneath the bar, pulls out a revolver, and shoots himself in the head. I would like all of you to roll horror, please. Holy shit. I thought he was going to aim it at us. Six. Five. Spend the dice for me. Uh, so five, and I'll spend a strain to make it a six. All of you pass, standing to take five preventable sanity damage. And I would like all of you to roll me a breakdown check. I got a minus one on the breakdown. Uh, I got a plus one. I got a plus two. Air key. Fight, flight, or freeze. Seeing the barkeep blow out his own brains, Erki will scamper out of the booth and just beeline for the door really fast, trying to get the hell away from this bar, and pushes the door open and just escapes into the night, I guess. The rest of you watch as Erki just bolts from the bar. He appears to be shaken out of his skull, looks like just completely and utterly done with the senseless violence that just occurred right in front of you. And as he throws open the door to the bar and runs out onto the street, he is grabbed by a pair of pedestrians, restraining him in place. Right next to your booth, there is a woman, looks to be just another passerby, and this young woman presses the screen of her phone against the window, and you can see that she was on YouTube looking at a fingernail painting tutorial video However, the woman on the screen is the same 
dark-haired, purple-eyed woman that you saw on the TV set. And when she speaks, her voice still issues from the speakers inside the bar. And as you can see, I'm everywhere. Every little video you watch, every web page you pull up for research, even the suggestive material I know some of you look at. Mass media is such a pretty invention, no? Outside, traffic still flows normally. And as a double-decker bus stops at a bus stop across the street from you, you can see that on the wide screen display mounted on its side, the same woman dressed in very Baroque-looking clothing as she is standing in the midst of an advertisement for a play at a local theater nearby. She continues, saying, I can be everywhere, all the time, all at once. All of society bows down to me on their phones and their laptops and their widescreen TVs. I control what the public wants to see, and no one is any the wiser. And it'd be a wise decision for you to lay down your arms and surrender, while you still can, of course, before I have to do something really horrible. Like maybe convincing Claudia to swerve into oncoming traffic while she's driving your daughter to school, Caspian. Can roll me another horror check, Caspian. Yep. You don't need to spend strain, by the way, because this is repeated exposure. Alright, that's a seven. You pass standing to take another six preventable sanity damage, and I would like you to roll me yet another breakdown check. As you realize, well, she just threatened your ex-wife and your daughter. That is flat. You hold it together long enough. She appears to be a little impressed with how you just sort of weather that casual threat to the lives of your loved ones. And she then says, Just remember who's watching who the next time you turn on a TV. Ciao, ciao, gentlemen. See you when I see you. And all the screens go back to normal and the pedestrians around you just sort of snap out of their trance, someone notices the dead bartender, a woman screams, and people start running out of the bar. Yes, safe house close. Tennessee looks at you and he says, yeah, very close. Unfortunately, I think we might need to go dark on this one again. Can we do this out on the street? We need to get out of here like now. And I see Erky out there just sort of man out of his gourd, you know what I mean? Please, let's see if I don't want to be here a moment more. I think Caspian is silent and already moving toward the door. Tennessee gets up, chugs his beer, and he follows Caspian out the door, grabs Erki by the wrist, and leads the four of you down the street to a waiting car. And instead of driving to the hotel that you were staying in, just drives out of the city. When the four of you are on the outskirts of Seattle, Washington, on a backcountry road with very poor cell reception, he stops the car, takes all of your phones tosses them out the window, and then shoots them several times with his handgun. He then turns the car engine off and sort of leans back in his chair, a wary sigh escaping his chest as he says, Well, I certainly wasn't expecting that. Neither was I, but in the time that we've been in the car, I've been thinking about something. So I've been thinking keeping in touch is going to be hard, especially not necessarily between us but between us and any sort of headquarters. I may have a way around that, but I'm not sure you're going to like it. Well, I've certainly seen my fair share of horrific shit today, Dylan. Hit me with it. I have a friend. Well, maybe 
maybe friend is too familiar a word. I have an ally who isn't from here and it might be able to help us stay in contact without drawing the attention or allowing the whoever this influencer is into our business. They're not human in case you didn't catch my drift. I'm not sure what they are. Well, yeah, I caught that drift easily enough, Dylan. Look, we're up against probably one of the toughest opponents we've ever come across in my time in Orpheus. Remember when I was telling you about the CEO of that advertising company, Star Contrast Media? That lady, Morgana Evanston? Yeah, that was her back there. Great. Lovely. Seems like quite a charmer. Uh, charmer indeed. I mean, she's one of the most influential people in the world. And now we know she can brainwash people with just a gesture, and she can get us through technology. That ain't great. Caspian kind of waits a bit too long and says, no, it's not great at all. We need to stop this. If our people aren't safe, kind of trails off. Tennessee looks over to you, Dylan, and he says, well, any ideas as good as anything, I suppose. If this friend of yours on the other side is any way for us to keep in touch, I'll be more than happy to hear it, I guess. Do we need to be in some place specific, or just out here is fine? Out here is fine. I just need um, maybe a little bit of privacy, a little bit of time. Well, I suppose we can get out the car and wait. No, no, you guys stay in the car. I'll get out. Um, we're pretty safe out here. I'm just going to go for a brief walk. Okay, then. Uh, we'll stay out here, I suppose. Just uh, don't stray too far. I mean, I know you are more than capable of taking care of yourself, but you know, can't be too careful. You got it, boss. Dylan, you excuse yourself and step out of the vehicle. You take out this worn dirty old walkie-talkie that you've kept since forever since you were a teenager in Raven's Folly your home and as you turn the little dial to find the right frequency and you flick the switch from off to on and that familiar peal of static greets your ears you begin walking down this quiet dirt road Caspian Erki you watch Dylan step out of the car and he starts walking into the cold, wintry fog, pulling what looks like an old, late 90s-era walkie-talkie from a pocket of his jacket, and he begins fiddling with it as he disappears into the mist. What do you do? Caspian gets out of the car as well, and uh, stands with one hand on the door, watching, watching as uh, Dylan wanders off into the distance, and, and turns to the phones on the ground and goes and picks up his now shot, the, the pieces of his now shot pieces phone. And once I, I want to use a psychometry on it to try and get a sense of what was this spirit in it and what can we learn about her intentions. Caspian, as you pick up the pieces of your broken phone, you peer into its history and you get the vague sense of power, control, to keep subservient sheep in their pens, sated with food, drink, to fatten them up for a presumed slaughter or sacrifice. 
even, in the service of something greater. And above all else, you have this pervasive feeling that even though you're looking into your phone's psychic history, there is this imprint of her eyes in your psyche, laughing at you, echoing through your mind. I think when he feels like he's not getting anything else, Caspian will drop the pieces of the phone and and shake his head to try and clear it a bit and uh, say to Tennessee and Erki, she's treating us all like livestock. She's fat- fattening us up for some kind of slaughter or ritual. We We need to stop this. Tennessee nods and he says, Yeah, I figure. I mean... I read the reports of what y'all found in Los Angeles, Caspian. Them using human brains as server farms. Yeah, that shit's disgusting, man. Seems like it goes a bit beyond just that. There was one thing from your report, though, that uh, caught my interest. You said that while you were investigating that advertising house in L.A., you encountered some form of mimetic hazards, right? In, like, advertising? Yeah, that's right. They, they inserted... Uh some sort of feeling of of worms and and being buried into a cola ad of all things. Shit, if I'm going to have to be on the lookout for a Coca-Cola advert, that don't bode well. But anyway, all of these mimetic hazards have got to come from somewhere, right? So that means stark contrast media must be making them somewhere. And if we find out where they're doing this and destroy it, We might just be able to get the upper hand on whatever it is they're doing. Hell, we might be even able to break her spell on the world, as it were. You know what I'm saying? I hope we can do that. It would very much be in my best interests. Well, not just mine, but the whole world's. To make sure that no more people are being brainwashed and treated like happy cows. Being fattened for a steakhouse, you know? Well, the sense I got from from what was left of the the psychic residue on the phone uh, made me think that it's on a, a whole other scale, like a, a genocidal ritual of some sort. I mean, it sort of ties into what we believe Applied Materials is supposed to be going for, judging from all the intel that it's been gathered across, oh, I don't know, the last couple of weeks' worth of investigations around the world. Applied Materials is up to something big, something vast, globally reaching, involving... The entire world as we know it. I'm not quite sure what their deal is yet, but this is what we're going to try and find out. Here's hoping some of the other teams investigating the other companies figure out what the fuck's happening. So we can put this puzzle together and maybe have some sort of direction for this investigation. Otherwise, we're still just going to swim around in circles until we're all dead or the world's fucked or both. Well, it's a lot more personal now than it was a few hours ago, she's bringing Claudia into it. That's a whole new level of uh, awful for me. She your ex-wife? Caspian nods. Yeah, I read as much in your personnel file. The fact that she was able to know that at a glance, not great. Yeah, let's, uh, let's wait for Dylan to come back and let's head on back to Empire. That's probably the most isolated place in this country. A place where they probably won't be able to reach us anytime soon. Well, we definitely need to stay off the grid in more ways than we even have been until now. Yep, I'm gonna have to pass this along to my people and the rest of the people on this investigation to be on guard. 
Eric is probably still rather shaken by the whole mass mind control that he saw, not to mention the guy blowing his brains out, combined with the earlier experience of potentially becoming a part of whatever was like happening down there with the whole numbers and thing, math and stuff going through his head that he was, he was forced to repeat. And so he's just been quiet, and I would imagine that he's still going to be quiet and just kind of contemplate things inside his own head. If we are still in the car, then Eric is just leaning his head against the window and just staring out into the nothingness. And with nothingness beyond, I mean, like, he's staring at the whatever can be seen in the potential, like, dim light of the night, but, like, he's not actually, like, really paying that much attention to anything out there. The car's headlights illuminate the fog surrounding your vehicle as your long, deep breaths create little circles of fog on the window that you're leaning on. You're staring out to this cold, bleak emptiness, just wondering, when will it end? How far will you have to go away from home to see this through? But you can feel it, a connection through your feet, through the tires, into the soil. Even though you're so far away from home, that little connection you have with the earth and with the gods that created it, it's still there. Just fainter than normal, but it's still there, and it's still present. And at least, for the moment, it fills you with a little bit of hope. Dylan, as you stroll through the evening fog, it's getting cold, it's getting dark, and you're still trying to find the right frequency on your walkie-talkie as you walk and walk and walk. The headlights of the car behind you slowly fade into the distance until you feel that you are well and truly alone. And just as that moment happens, the static on the walkie-talkie hits just the right pitch, and he knows that the ocularis is listening. Are you there? We need to talk. Your words seem to hang in the silence of the evening air as the static whine reaches a fever pitch and then almost like it's buried underneath the static like an EVP when you went ghost hunting in your old town all those years ago you hear a faint voice saying yes let's This has been Applied Materials, an Orpheus Protocol actual play podcast. A warm thanks to our players tonight. Kieran for playing Dylan. Laurie for playing Erki. Greg for playing Caspian. Be sure to follow the show at Applied Mats on Twitter, and we will return in the next episode. Good night. Amidst the ocean's waves and the forests of green, four Orpheus agents find themselves in Ireland to begin the process of destroying a global shipping conglomerate. Next time on Ties That Bind, Part 1.